0: Uh, my name's Jerry, one of the teaching pastors, and it's my joy to welcome you guys here. Today, we are going to continue on in our Words to Live By series. Again, if you're brand new this morning, this is a series that we're doing all summer long, and we are tackling each week a different verse that some of you have sent into to us. Over the last month, we've said, hey, what is a passage of scripture that has really impacted your heart or changed your life? Uh, You can text it to us. You can email it in to us. What is a life verse that you have? And each week this summer, we're going to take one of those and we're going to talk about that. And that's going to be our summer series. So today we're in the book of Zephaniah. Now, Zephaniah is somebody who is called one of the minor Prophets. All right, if you've been around the church scene for a while, you'll know that there's the major prophets, and that's, you know, Daniel and Ezekiel and Jeremiah, some of those, the major prophets. And then you've got the minor prophets, all right, and there's uh, 13 or 14 of them. And I was thinking about this, and I was wondering if someday when we get to heaven, you know, you're going to have these minor prophets, and they're going to have a little beef with the people that determined for thousands of years that they were going to be called the minor prophets. You know what I'm saying? Now, come on, give me a little bit. That was kind of funny. Because there's nothing minor about these guys. I mean, they're giving the same message. It's of equal importance. But you got these several that are like, we are the major prophets. And then they're like the little minions, lackeys over here. I guess we're just the minor prophets, according to somebody. But the only reason they're called the minor prophets is because the books are smaller. But they're all saying essentially the same message. And that is this that God's judgment is coming. The nation of Israel, God's chosen people, have made uh, decades and even hundreds of years of poor decisions allowing evil into what God created as his people and bowing to false idols, allowing all this immorality and debauchery and profaning the name of the one that created them. And so many of these prophets are saying, people get ready because God is coming. The day of the Lord is at hand. Destruction is coming and you have brought this upon yourself. So it's time to change. It's time to repent. Please, while there's still opportunity. And here in Zephaniah, he's got a very similar message. The book of Zephaniah, if I can summarize it for you, is about God's justice and God's love. Those two concepts, God's justice and God's judgment and God's love, intermingled together in this incredible small book. I want to open up this morning by talking a little bit about the idea of relationship. And maybe you have had this acronym in your vernacular growing up but back when i was in college and i've heard it around since then we used to talk about the dtr you know what i'm talking about when i say that define the relationship talk okay so you're starting things out and maybe they're going pretty good but it's time to somehow figure out what are the attitudes that they have towards me and me towards them is this going to work is this going to turn into something we need to have this define the relationship talk and i've had a few of these opportunities in my day sometimes they go well sometimes they don't go so well one time when i was in uh, senior in high school i was dating this girl my best friend and i were dating cousins who lived all the way on the other side of the great state of New Jersey, we were up there in northeastern New Jersey. They lived all the way down by Philadelphia, so it was like an hour and a half, two-hour drive. And one weekend, we were going to go see them. So I, I called her, and I said, uh, that morning, she was expecting us to come down. I said, hey, you know what? Something uh, happened, and I've got this other obligation, so I'm not going to be able to see you today. And in my mind, I was still planning on going, but I thought, you know what would be great? Because you know what women love when they're expecting something, but then you tell them that it's not going to happen so that I can go and surprise her They love that. (laughs) So that was my plan is like, I'm going to tell her I'm not going, but then I'm going to show up and it's going to be glorious. So anyway, so she's like, oh, whatever. And I'm like, "All all right, bye. All right, let's go. So we're driving two hours all the way down there. And then I thought, you know what? Maybe like the cold surprise wouldn't be the best plan. So maybe I should at least give her a little bit of a heads up. So I called her. We we're about maybe five or ten minutes away from her house. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm actually about ten minutes away from your house, so I'm actually going to be there really soon, uh, despite what I told you two hours ago. She's like, well, I made other plans, and I'm not really ready to see you. And I'm like, oh, well, I'm here, so I'll be there in ten minutes. I'm like, this didn't really go the way I thought it was going to go. So I decided to stop and get her flowers. Like maybe that would somehow soften the blow of this failed plan. So we get there to the house where they both are and she was angry because I did all this and I could tell that. I could sense all that. So my friend Ming and I get there and the two cousins are upstairs, ring the doorbell. We come in, we both got our flowers. I got my roses and and Ming, you know, is just, uh, he's got his as well. like, hey, we're actually here. And they both come down the stairs and my girlfriend was first and she walks right by me and says, oh, Ming, you got Mandy flowers. You are so sweet. And my flowers just kind of went like, "Oop." So define the relationship. Um, Unhealthy? Manipulative? One-sided? I don't know. We can laugh about it now. But there was another opportunity where we had a define the relationship moment and it actually went a little bit better, but still not the greatest. I'd been dating my now wife, Becca, my girlfriend at the time, for a while and it was time to define that relationship, to take that next step. So it was this quiet evening under the moonlit sky and I had the great song Love of a Lifetime, the monster ballad from, you know, the late 80s, early 90s finally found the love of a lifetime you know the mood was right and so I lean over and I'm like Becca I think I'm in love with you and I was meaning think as in like you know like I think I'm falling in love I can't help it but she kind of took it a little bit differently and she goes um you think you love me and I'm like, no, 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 yes, love, yes, yes. Uh, define that relationship, um, needs better communication. But anyway, we know what we're talking about on a human level where you need to define what this relationship looks like and understand what are the attitudes, you know, what is the posturing of what this relationship is going to be. Well, this morning, what we're going to dive into from this Zephaniah chapter 3 is we're going to define our relationship with God. And if there's any relationship in the world that we need to get a good definition of, what are the attitudes, what is the posturing, this is the one. Because when you think about who God is, and if you're a Christian and a Christ follower here this morning, and you believe in this book, and you believe that the God of the universe created this planet, created millions of other stars and other galaxies, and his vast expanse of creation is unbelievable. His power is matchless, and this is the God that we've got a relationship with. It should be the primary thing in our life to understand what are his attitudes towards me and how do I respond to that? Far above any other relationship that you have or are engaged in right now. It's kind of an unfortunate thing, but you think about it, defining the relationship, and you think about perhaps what are some of the attitudes that have walked in here this morning as far as your relationship with God goes. Maybe for some, you've walked in and you've kind of got the perspective that says, you know what, I feel like God is mad at me right now. Maybe something happened in the past. Maybe you've been involved in something you shouldn't have. Maybe for some of you, you've sinned and you're shunned, or at least you feel that way. Maybe you're shameful and you feel segregated. Maybe some of you have fallen and you feel like God is furious. And it could very well be even that some are listening to this podcast right now and they're not even here in this place because when they walk in, they kind of fear that God is mad at me and he doesn't approve of me and I don't even want to really be in that place with those other people because I know my relationship with him is not right. Maybe for some here this morning you feel that God's somehow disappointed in you. You feel like maybe you could be doing more, you should be doing more. You should be much farther along than you are and you're asking yourself, why do I keep on making these same mistakes? God must be so disappointed in me. Maybe for some you feel like God is distant from you. I was reminded this week of a song that I hadn't heard in a long time, but maybe some of you will remember it. It's by a guy named Keith Green. Remember him, Keith Green? And he has a song that was called, My Eyes Are Dry. And it goes, my eyes are dry, my faith is old, my heart is hard, and my prayers are cold, and it carries along that idea that, like, man, well, you know, it used to be that I would sing those worship songs or I would hear from God or I would see God move. And I'd be so moved when I see Him move that emotions would come. And when I sing that song, I could feel that connectivity. But something has changed. That's no longer the case. I'm no longer stirred up. I'm no longer overly excited. I'm no longer heartbroken. I'm just this boring, plain apathetic straight line and i feel like god is so far away david felt that as a matter of fact he said in psalm 66 verse 18 if i cherished sin in my heart you will not hear my prayers there's been something that he's been holding and because of that it feels like god is so far away Well, this morning we really want to lean into what does God say about us? What is his attitude towards us? And I want to present to you Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. That's going to be our word to live by for today. One author called this the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. That's how important and how vital it is. We know about John 3.16 in the New Testament. One author said this, Zephaniah 3.17, is kind of that important or certainly it should be for God's people. So here's what it says. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness and he will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. And essentially what I want you to think about this morning, church, is two dynamic pieces and responses of God's character that we see here in this one little obscure verse. The first one that we want to talk about is this, that God is a fierce warrior and he will fight for us. That's one thing we see in the first half of this verse. God is a fierce warrior. He will fight for us. Just by way of a little bit of a backdrop, again, Zephaniah, one of the minor prophets, warning people that God's wrath is coming if they don't change. A couple quick things I just want to bring you up to speed on in Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 1. You don't need to turn there. I'll just summarize it for you. Basically, it says, you know, when this book was written was in the time of Josiah. Now if you've been a part of Northwest for a little while, you'll remember four or five weeks ago we had a, a series called Comeback Stories and that was one of the comeback stories that we talked about was King Josiah. He was one of the greatest kings of the nation of Israel and you'll remember he came to be king when he was eight years old, started all these reforms because before him there had been 55 years of the worst evil that Israel had ever seen. Child sacrifices and immorality and idolatry and everything else that was detestable. And these are God's people being lured into doing all of this. And Josiah, even though he was so young, saw that there was something different and something greater. And he made all kinds of reforms over his time as king. But it's important to recognize that Zephaniah and Josiah, this is the same exact time period. They're working together side by side for reforms. But amongst the people of Israel, even though they did make some great changes, it was still somewhat too late. Destruction was still coming. All right, Listen to this first. Listen, listen to how powerful this is. Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 12. This is God speaking, and he says this. At that time, when this great day of the Lord is coming, when this judgment is coming, it says this. At that time, I will search out Jerusalem with lamps, Think about that imagery. It's God almost going door to door with lamps, house to house. What's he looking for? He says, I will punish the men who are complacent. Chapter 1, verse 12. Talk about a word to live by. I mean, for some of us men, God's saying, yep, you're the ones that I'm going to be looking for, the ones who should be taking spiritual leadership and really stepping up and being a leader in your society and in your community. God says, I'm going to be looking for the men who are complacent. And that's such an interesting word. It carries along the idea of a giant jar of wine that has fermented A giant jar of wine that's fermented and it hasn't been used. It hasn't been put to its intended use. So it ends up starting to kind of, you know, coagulate and all this grit starts to form at the bottom and it's old and it's useless. And I'll tell you what, for guys, for men, here it is. Maybe this should be the message for this morning. Chapter one, verse 12. That's what's happened to some of our leaders and some of our men. We had the chance to be potent, Powerful, used in a in a quality way, but instead there's been a complacency. There's been a sitting there. There's been a settling, and now there's been a uselessness. Isn't that powerful? That's what God's going to be looking for. He's warning the people through Zephaniah. That's chapter one. Crazy, awesome. Chapter two, he talks about not just warning Jerusalem, but also all the nations, all the surrounding areas. Not even just the people of God, the other nations. And that's going to be really important for chapter 3 because that's where we're parking in chapter 3 because there's one final glimpse of hope and restoration. God's saying, I've got my attitude towards you and this justice is going to be coming, but I want you to experience this love. So I'm calling you out and I desire to restore you. One last image and glitter of hope. And here in chapter 3, verse 17, we get the first half of his character that he explains to those who have responded, to those who have stepped out, to those who have crossed that line of faith. And he is a fierce warrior. Now that word, I want you to focus here on verse 17, the Lord, L-O-R-D, all capital. That's the Hebrew word Yahweh, which means the fighting, covenant-keeping, sovereign God. It's used 261 times in in the Old Testament. It says, That name is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. This is military warrior fighting language. Okay, to illustrate this, I've got a couple of guys that I want to come out here for just a moment if they are waiting in the wings. And uh, those of you that are listening on the podcast, it's too bad you couldn't be here because this really is something. All right, so I want you guys, you three guys, just to line up right here. One, two, three. One, two, three. So what I want to explain to you guys is this, when we're talking about this concept, this first concept of God is a warrior, and God is mighty, and God is powerful, it's imperative that we recognize and and understand the language. I mentioned to you this is military language, but it even goes one step deeper than that. Okay? In scripture, we sang about it in in the song A Mighty Fortress, there's that one line in there that says, Lord, Sabaoth, his name. Did anybody catch that? Were you here in time for that song? Small little plug there. But if you're there and you're reading that, you're like, well, what does that mean? I don't even know what that means. Well, we chose it on purpose because that word means the Lord of hosts or the Lord Almighty is the way it's often translated. And the idea is that it's not just God, it's not just Jehovah. He's powerful enough, he's strong enough, but it carries along the idea that even backing him up is additional strength and force and opportunity for battle and for fighting. Okay, so I tried to think through who are three guys that I would really want on my side should something terrible end up happening or somebody doesn't like the talk and they want to meet me afterwards in the parking lot. Who's a couple of guys that I want on my side? You guys should be very thankful that I chose you. Just stay right here. But listen, I want you to think about the physical side of this. You ever been in that moment where you really wish that you had some sort of backup physically Remember when I was in college, a buddy of mine went uh, to New York City. I had mentioned lived in New Jersey, took the train to New York City, and we were going to see some NCAA basketball at Madison Square Garden, and uh, we went out to eat afterwards. And, you know, I'm 19, 20 years old at this point, and we were walking, you know, 15, 20 city block, just kind of checking it out, living large, enjoying New York City, city that never sleeps, grab something to eat. It's probably 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night at this point, and we got to walk 20 city blocks back down to the subway station to catch our last train to get us back home. My buddy Eric and I are walking in the city and it's 11:30 midnight and it's New York City. And New York City's made huge improvements over the last 30 years, become much much safer. But regardless, there's still a lot of crazy people in New York City and we're walking at this late hour and you know we're we're kind of at a spot you know several blocks off so it's not the main drag we're kind of off a little bit and all of a sudden you know i'm feeling a little bit like a little nervous and all of a sudden these two big guys sidle right up next to me and uh, start walking right next to us and I, and I start going a little bit faster and not making eye contact. You're know, like, huh, so what would you think of that game? <laughs> yeah, it's good, huh? Uh-huh. And so we're walking fast, and this guy's like, yo, man, hey, man, you want to buy a fake ID? You guys need some fake IDs? No, no, man, we're good, we're good. Keep on walking, keep on walking. He's getting closer. He's like, come on, man, how about some weed? You guys want some weed? I'm like, no, man, we're all set. Honestly, we are, we are fine. We're, we're, just, we're just heading out here now fast, quickly. And then he's right up in my, 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 my mug right here. And I, I can picture it like it was yesterday. And he's like, come on, man, buy something from me right now. Get your wallet out and buy something. And he's getting agitated. His other buddies right there along the other side. And like, something bad's about ready to happen. And I'm looking around and there's nobody else really around. We're just kind of in this barren off street. And I'm like feeling my legs are shaking. And I'm like, oh, man, what's going to happen? You know, you've heard about the fight or the flight syndrome, right? You remember that? Like when you get scared and that adrenaline, like you can either fight or there's a flight. I tend to maybe lean a little tad bit towards the flight (laughs) rather than the fight, especially in this situation. (laughs) I've been in a fight since third grade. (laughs) But anyway, so at the last second, like as soon as this thing was elevating and Mount Vesuvius was about ready to erupt, there's like this little shop, like this little corner grocery shop, like tiny little thing. And I very quickly grab Eric, my buddy, and I like send him in there. And I go in there, and we're in this shop with this person that doesn't even speak English. But I'm like, "Uh, we're just going to hang out here for a while if that's okay. Uh, (laughs) You know? And uh, we wait about 10 or 15 minutes, and then I like very slowly open up the door and like, where did those guys go? Can we call a cab, please? It's a true story. But I mention all of that to say that for some here, when you think about the physical realm, and way more than that, when you think about the spiritual realm, how much different is it to know that you've got backup behind you? If these guys were with me, I would not have been anywhere near as scared. And it doesn't hurt that several of them enjoy uh, shooting ranges and the such, if you know what I'm saying. But it's vitally important for us to understand that the strength that comes from God's people, even in difficult situations, is that they're serving a fighting, awesome, incredible God, the Lord of hosts, the God of angel armies, and he's the one that gives them confidence and strength. You guys can go. But man, I tell you what, I can't begin to explain to you how beautiful it is to get this concept of the Lord of hosts. The first time that it is shown in Scripture is in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And what's so amazing and so ironic and such a God moment is when Tiffany and Corey were up here. Did you notice the verse there that was from 1 Samuel chapter 1? And that's the exact reference of the very first time that this titled the God of hosts, the Lord of hosts, is inserted in there. And if you've been around church for a while, and if you know your Old Testament, you'll remember there was a woman named Hannah that wasn't able to bear children, and it just tore her up. And she was so discouraged, and she was so saddened by this. And it says that she went to the temple, and scripture is so descriptive. It says she got down on her knees, and she was just there praying and pouring out her heart before God. And it says her lips were moving, but no sound was coming out. She was that intense, praying to God. She was just You can imagine, you can picture that. And the priest actually thought that she was drunk. But she was that in love with God and that confidence in God. And it says one thing she prayed was she prayed to the Lord Almighty, to this Lord of hosts, and said, please, fight for me. Come through for me. I can't do this on my own. It's unseen. I don't know the future, but I know you do, and I know that you have promised to fight for me. And another illustration is in the story of David that we've all heard from so many different avenues. But that same idea of this Lord Almighty, when Goliath was out there profaning the name of God and the name of the God of the Israelites, Lord Almighty, God of hosts, yeah, right, where is he now? David said, I'm not going to take this. I'm going to step out. And again, I don't know what's going to happen. I've got a bunch of different stones here. I don't know how many it's going to take. You ever think about that? Why did he grab all those stones? But on the very first one, the Lord of hosts, please fight for me, for your name, and God came through. We serve a God that will fight for us. What does that mean for you? I don't know what that means for you, but we know when the relationship's defined, when when we are believers, God says, you know what, I'm here, I'm present, I'm in your midst, and I'm mighty to save. I'm a mighty warrior who is fighting for you. I love the passage in the book of Hebrews chapter 13. The author says, man, God has said to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you so we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You ever wonder when you hear those stories of Martyrs or believers in other nations, other parts of the world, who they're given the opportunity either defy God and denounce God, or I'm going to shoot you right now. I'm going to take your life right now. And they're like, "What can man do to me? Well, he can shoot me, and that's okay. But it's only my body. It's only my life. God's going to fight for me, and if He can use my death to somehow spread forth His message, that is going to be a glorious." death it's an unbelievable attitude that we see when we picture god as a fierce warrior and what i love so much about this passage is in the second half we get the exact opposite just like we sang right the lord is the lion the lion of judah you know the fighting powerful strong mighty but the lord is the lamb the lamb who was slain for the sins of the world And that's what we see the opposite here. He's a fighter. He's zealous. Second half, we see this. He is a loving father who will rejoice over us. Chapter 17, second half of the verse. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing here to tell you this morning that this is proud papa language it's one thing to be a fighter and a warrior but there's a tenderness that we see here as well as we go through this and I mean honestly this concept may rub people a little bit of the wrong way Because when we talk about God in this way as somebody who's rejoicing, somebody who's shouting, somebody who's singing, and the object of that affection is us, his people, that kind of can be a little bit confusing, right? Well, just hang with me. Let's talk about this for a second. He says he will rejoice over you with gladness. If you're a believer here this morning we need to understand the heart of God that when we um when we come to him when we make that decision he's been speaking to us he's been drawing us when we make that step from death to life there is a rejoicing that goes on in the heart of our God you see that in the New Testament as well, right? With Jesus, when he talked about the prodigal son who had gone off and made a mockery of his father and all the riches, and he should be so full of shame, and the father should be shamed that to call, even call him his son. But yet it says, when he sees him, where afar off, he jumps over the rail and runs out to him and hugs him and kisses him and throws a huge party. What kind of God throws a party? For somebody who has shamed him in that way. It's a God who rejoices over us. What about the second part? He will quiet you with his love. The beautiful picture that we see right there is the idea of an infant, a little baby. Just like we even saw up here or maybe even younger. And some of you uh, young parents know exactly what this is like when when your baby's crying and they they can't even quite communicate what's going on or what's wrong or they can't even say, I'm hungry or I'm hurt or I'm cold or I need to be changed or, uh, you know, whatever it is. But there's something about a parent's love that will just kind of embrace them and hold them and rock them and quiet them just with their love. Maybe it's soft words. Maybe it's just speaking to them. Maybe it's singing to them. That is the picture that God is using in this verse. And what's crazy is this very week, there was a day when all these students were at the, at the uh, church office and all their stuff was there and it was kind of chaotic there. So I didn't really want to study there like I typically do. But as I was preparing and diving into this, I was, uh, I was off-site. And, and Becca said, hey, can you, uh, can you be home just for like a half an hour? i got to run out to a doctor's appointment. And uh, my wife was watching two children uh, for a friend uh, that day, a two-year-old and like a three-month-old. But it's okay, Jer. They'll be asleep. You can still study. Nobody else is at home. Okay. So I come home, and hey, this is all good. You know, I've had some kids. What could possibly go wrong? So Sure enough, like 15 minutes into it, I got the monitor right there, and the baby starts crying and crying, and it's getting louder. Maybe they'll just go back to sleep. No, she's not going back to sleep. So I go up there, and I pick up baby Quinn and bring her downstairs, and she's just three months old. I'm like, shh, it's all right, darling. You're going to be okay. You know, Uncle Jerry's here. So I take the milk and put it in the microwave and get it all nice and make sure it's not too hot, not too cold, right? And so I go back upstairs in the dark and I'm just sitting on the rocking chair with little sweet Quinn and I'm just feeding her. I'm just talking to her. You're okay, just go back to sleep. It's all right. It's gonna be okay. And so what was so crazy about that moment is guys, I was literally right in the middle of preparing this message in this second point and developing it and making it all happen when this situation came to be. When I'm talking about God quieting us with his love and all of a sudden a baby's crying and now I'm quieting her with tender words and with my love. Right in the middle of this. A real life example. And then what's even more crazy is I, you know, rock her a little bit and whatever, and then I finally set her down and I go back downstairs to my computer and I and I open it up and I get back going. And you know what time it is? Three. Seventeen. You cannot even make this up. And the reason I'm telling you you can't make it up is because I was so blown away by this. I had been texting back and forth with Becca like, honey, when are you going to be home? They're waking up. And here you go. I got a screenshot of my text right here. Uh, Blah, 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 blah. I'm feeding her now. She hungry like the wolf. (laughs) Which is a throwback to an 80s song. Some of you guys are with me, you know, hungry like the wolf. Thank you for that. And so, of course, my wife laughs. And then, does she need to be burped? Blah, blah, blah. Look what time it's read. 3.18. So all that stuff was going on later down. And by the time my wife read it, proof. But how cool that all this happened. It's just one of those amazing God moments that's saying, yeah, you know what? It's true. I do I am orchestrating things right now. And I want you to know something right now. And I wonder even for us here this morning with this one tiny little obscure passage as we, just, as we just bring it home is what does God want us to know? What is the attitude? How is the relationship defined between this God of the universe and us? Well, this last piece is so amazing here. Just this last little line in chapter uh, verse 17. He says, uh, he will exalt over you with loud singing. I mean, guys, that's celebration talk. That's clapping. That's jumping up and down. That's shouting at the top of your lungs. And this is what saying God does over us. Now, again, I know this seems a little uncomfortable because some of you are like, oh, now hold on. Uh, are, are you, isn't this kind of like man-centric? Aren't you just kind of saying, well, God just thinks we're so awesome and God's celebrating us? I mean, come on, we're just lowly and we're just woe is me and God's so holy and high up there. Absolutely, that is all true. God doesn't worship us, but at the same time, he does pour out his affection upon us. And in the same way with your son or with your daughter, if you have kids, that first moment you see them or when they do something incredible or when you see them make a right decision or when you see them overcome something and you're like, yes, I love you so much. You are so important to me. I just love being with you and I just can't believe that God gave you to me. God has an attitude of rejoicing and celebrating over us as well. And guess what? He reserves the right to do that. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, right? We are his workmanship. We're his creation. All the glory goes to him, but there's a point where God, as a proud, loving father, looks down and says, yeah, I'm happy that they're doing the right thing. I'm happy that they've made that decision. So I don't know where any of this stuff lands on you guys here this morning. The application points, it's just like, Man, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't belittle God to celebrate and feel that love over us because he, he created us. And maybe, maybe for some of you, that's what you need this morning. Maybe what's going on in your life is there's an uncertainty and there's an uneasiness and there's pain going on, real live pain, or maybe there's some sort of hidden pain deep in your heart. And really what you need to hear from God, that attitude from God is, you know what? I'm going to rejoice over you with singing. I'm going to comfort you with my love. I'm going to reassure you with my presence. And that piece of a loving father is what you need this morning. And maybe for some of you, it's that first piece. It's that the Lord is a warrior. The Lord of hosts is a mighty God. He is there to save us and he will fight for us. And there's battles going on in your life, in your family, in your work, in your community. And you need the strength of God here this morning. Well, this verse encapsulates both of them beautifully. So my question to you in closing is, can you feel the wonder of this this morning? I love that song that we sing sometimes here at Northwest. Now there's nothing holding me back from you. Can you feel the wonder of that this morning? Have you allowed that to just um, seep into your heart? Well, maybe you would say to yourself, well, Jerry, I'm not really feeling that. Why? Because I am guilty and I'm feeling shameful this morning. Look at verse 15 of chapter 3. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He's saying that to the nation of Israel. You're forgiven now. If you're following, you're forgiven. And he's saying that to us here this morning. If you're following after Jesus, he has taken care of your sin at the foot of the cross. And behold, the cross is empty and everything's forgiven. And when God looks down upon you, he's saying, You know what? The, all the judgments, I've taken them all away. You're clean. You don't need to be guilty. Maybe you're saying, well, I'm just afraid this morning. Notice what he says here on verse 16. On that day it shall be said, fear not. Let not your hands grow weak, for the Lord is in your midst. God's presence is there. And then one final one. Maybe you're here and you're just like, man, I... I just feel ashamed for some reason this morning. Look at this beautiful verse. Skip down to verse 19. God says, Behold, at that time I will deal with all of your oppressors and I will save the lame and I will gather the outcast and I will change their shame into praise. Isn't that a beautiful picture for us this morning? I hope that there's nothing holding us back from experiencing that attitude of love that God has for us. I'm going to ask us to bow our heads and close our eyes here. And I just want to pray over you and pray for you here this morning. It's incredible to recognize that that we serve a powerful God. And it doesn't matter if we take a thousand steps away from Him. He is still just one step away. And God, we just thank you for this promise that you've given us here this morning. Lord, for these two incredible aspects of who you are and your personhood. And Lord, you invite us in and you draw us close. And because of the blood of Jesus, we are given access to this incredible God of the universe who could do away with any of our lives in an instant. And yet, God, your attitude towards us is that, yes, you are a warrior and you are the Lord of hosts and you're willing to fight for us. And Lord, we thank you for that. And Lord, for the battles that are raging within this body of believers, and this body of people, even if they haven't come to that point of faith yet, Lord, I pray that you would be fighting for them, that they would feel that backup, that they would feel that presence and that protection And Lord, I just thank you for your heart of a father. Lord, I thank you that you celebrate with us, that you created us, and that you pour out affection to us. And Lord, for some here, I just pray that you would quiet them with your love. Even when we can't explain, even when we can't verbalize what's wrong, and even when we feel so helpless, Lord, I just pray that we would feel your presence and your love. So we love you, Father, and we just thank you for this morning and thank you for this message. In your son's precious name we pray, amen.